All right, turn in your copy of Scripture to Psalm 87. Everybody turn there. If you're not turning in your copy of Scripture, maybe you're turning on your app, uh, Uversion app, that'd be fine, or, or uh, some other Bible app. Uh, but Psalm 87, if you have a hard time finding Psalm 87, go to the middle of your Bible, uh, turn to the middle, and probably 87 is more a few pages toward the beginning, but uh, Psalm begins with a P, not with an S, just so you know. Uh, there's always, in every Bible, there's a neat little glossary at the front, at the front section or uh, index where you can look and see what page uh, the different uh, books are. But you're looking for Psalm, P-S-A-L-M-S, 87. All right, while you're turning there, uh, we have a bunch of blue shirts here. Uh, Disciple Now, how did it go, guys? Awesome. Uh, we had a crew at our house, 11th grade girls rock. Yeah. A few more girls in my house does not matter one bit. Yeah, it didn't. One of the moms asked me, did you hang out with them the whole time? I said, no, I did what I normally do. I went up to my room and stayed there. You know, I just... It's Saturday, it's football day, you know, I just kind of stayed there, right? And uh, anyway, uh, well, uh, it's, uh, I hope y'all have had a great time, and I know that some of y'all are working on sleep deprivation, because, and the reason I know this, one of the reasons, because when I went out this morning at four o'clock uh, to come to church, uh, there, were, uh, there was saran wrap around one of, around our, one of our cars. <laughs> So I know that that was a late night endeavor and uh, appreciate that. So I, I'm going to try to uh, be active enough to keep your attention, uh, but also brief enough so that uh, we don't have uh, incessant snoring that will go on. Uh, and uh, I, I'm used to it. It happens all the time, uh, but I don't want you to be embarrassed by your snoring. Uh, so I'll try, to, I'll try to move forward. Now, Psalm 87 um, uh, is a way for us to look at the church the right way. And uh, when we look at Psalm 87, and I'm going to have to connect some dots. It's a difficult psalm. It's, it's a difficult psalm to uh, interpret. Uh, one scholar said the poet, it looked like the poet put together a bunch of different nice phrases, uh, but we don't know really why uh, until you start connecting some of the dots. And so uh, y'all going to have to stick with me, and, and I'm going to connect some of the dots for you. But ultimately, uh, this psalm is a psalm about Zion. And I read about Zion earlier. I, I, I read Isaiah chapter 2, talking about Zion. They're going to come to Mount Zion and, and walk in the light of the Lord. It's a picture of a future Zion. Mount Zion is a picture of Jerusalem. And in Isaiah 2, it's talking about that future Zion. Zion, where God uh, establishes his kingdom uh, and, uh, and, and full-blown reign. And, and I read from Revelation chapter 21, which is uh, another picture of Zion. It's a picture of heaven. No more tears, no more crying, no more sorrow. And we know that that is where we're headed. And, and, and as God's people, if you indeed you are a follower of Jesus, you know that that, that is your future. In fact, that's what we've been talking about in this in-between series. We've been talking about in-between. 
Uh, see, we, we're not where we used to be. Uh, we have become a follower of Jesus. We have now escaped the death penalty of our sin. We've, we've experienced new life through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's who we are. Uh, so we're not where we used to be, dead in our sin and empty and living without hope in this world because we were separated from God. That's who we used to be, but that, that's, that's not who we are anymore. We're not who, where we used to be, but we're not where we want to be. And that's, that is Zion in Isaiah 2. That is uh, the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 21. That's our destiny. That's where we're headed. Uh, but between here and heaven, we're in between. So as we live in between, we need to see some specific things about who we are especially as it relates to the church. Now, when the Bible talks about Zion in the Old Testament, it's talking about Jerusalem, okay? I, I, you need to know that. It's talking about the geographic city of Jerusalem. Uh, Psalm 87, verse 1, his foundation is in the holy mountains or the mountains of holiness. He's talking about Mount Zion. He's talking about where Jerusalem sits on the mountain. And so we, we see that he's talking about a specific ge geographic location. Jerusalem, where he built his temple. Jerusalem's still there today. There is still that geographic location called Jerusalem. And so that is Zion in the Old Testament in the most literal way. But in Isaiah chapter 2, which I read a few moments ago, he will, in Revelation chapter 21, when he talks about Zion there, they're not talking about the literal physical city of Jerusalem. They're talking about a new Jerusalem. In fact, that's what John wrote in Revelation 21. I saw a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. It's a, it's a picture of a renewed Zion. Uh, 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 that is the picture of heaven itself. So we have this picture of Zion in, uh, in Psalm 87, uh, the geographic location of Zion and, and the importance of that city. And I believe that Jerusalem, by the way, y'all need to get this, uh, I believe. Uh, when you talk about the, the center of our world, the center of our world is not the United States of America. The center of our world is Jerusalem, and I believe that to be true today. That is the center point of our world. I believe that is the fault, the fount from which all of our history will spring, has sprung, and all of our future will spring. So Jerusalem is still important, but what we're going to look at today is we're, we're looking at Jerusalem, Zion, in a broader perspective. It's not just that geographic location, but it's also not just that heavenly picture. It's Zion here and now. In Hebrews chapter 12, you might write this on the margin of your copy of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. Listen uh, how the writer of Hebrews talks about Zion. He writes, but you, he's talking to followers of Jesus. Now, earlier in Hebrews 12, he's, 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 he's describing who we are as the people of God and as the church. And so here's what he writes in, in description. He says, but you, the followers of God, the, the church, you have come to Mount Zion and you have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem 
to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. What's he saying there? Well, he's saying, well, the church, the church is Zion. Oh, we, when you think of Zion, you think of the presence of God. Mount Zion, the reason it is a holy mountain in verse 1 is not because it is a city called Jerusalem. What makes the city holy is that God has chosen to dwell there. When we look at Zion, we're really looking at the gathered present, the presence of God with the gathered people of God for the purposes of God. Now, that's what Psalm 87 is about. He's talking about God gathering his people, creating his people for a purpose. Zion is a description of something that God has made, not something that men made. It is a, it is a description of, of something that God established. In fact, you look down in verse, verse 5, he, he, he says, uh, And Zion, it will, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. But here's the phrase, And the Most High himself shall establish her. The Hebrew term for establish there in verse 5 is a term that means to form and create. And what, what's God talking about here? And what, what, what's the importance for us? Well, that God's talking about a people that he has created, that he has promised to dwell with. And he's talking about the church today. For we are the people of God, created by him with whom he dwells. When we look at Psalm 87, I want us to glean some insight about the church and, and how we think about the church and how we should relate in light of the church and how we should live because of the church and because of what God has done. Now, as we look at this, I, I know that for most of us, we begin thinking about the church in this way. Now, and, and what I'm about to say, it's the wrong way to look at the church. Everybody look this way. It is the, what I'm about to say is the wrong way to view church. But it is the way all of us at different times view the church. And I know I'm talking to many in this room who are followers of Jesus and, and are mature followers of Jesus. So what I'm about to share with you is, is kind of rehearsal. And I don't have to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you it anyway because we all need to be reminded. But what I'm about to say is not the way you're supposed to look at the church. And if you look at the church the way I'm about to describe, it will always lead you to dissatisfaction. So here's the way you're not supposed to look at the church. You're not supposed to look at the church like, so what's the church going to contribute to my life? That is not the way you look at the church. You, you don't look at the church as though it were a, a creation of, of a, an organization of different individuals who got together and started a charter 200 plus years ago in order to uh, provide some service for a group of people that are living in Norfolk and Hampton Roads. Uh, no, 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 no. See, see, the church is a creation of God for his purpose, not our purpose. And see, when we begin looking at the church and de de describing the church or, or, or evaluating how we like the church or don't like the church based upon, well, how does it contribute to my life? The end result 
well, first of all, that's called idolatry, thinking that the church was created for you. Can, can, and I know this is rehearsal for so many of you who are followers of Jesus and are mature in the faith. I know it's rehearsal, and, and I don't have to share this with you because you already know this, but let me remind. The church was not created for you. The church does not exist for you. The church is not about your pleasure. See, when we start valuating the church, or valuing the church based upon what's, it, what's its contribution to my life and, and how does it make me feel and, and what, is I, what do I get out? You know what you've done? You've created you as the center of the universe and you've lifted yourself up as an idol and you've exalted your pleasure above God himself. See, God didn't make this church for you. God made this church for himself. God's the one who establishes the church. Just like he established Zion there in verse 1 and verse 5, he establishes the church. He's the one that makes the church. And the church exists for him, not for you or for me. Now, the minute you and I start viewing the church and valuing the church based upon what it, how does it contribute to my life? The minute you start doing that, the, it, you are headed for dissatisfaction. You want to know why? Because eventually the church to which you attend will not satisfy you in terms of contribution. It will make a decision that you don't like. It will turn a corner that you don't appreciate. It will sing a song and they'll start clapping hands and acting like they're dancing up there. By the way, do you know verse 7? Let me, can I read verse 7 to you? Verse 7 says that both the singers and all the dancers will say, all my fountains are in you. And that is not just a, that's not just a golf clap kind of moment. Something has led the congregation of people gathered there to declare with literally all the nations of heaven and start dancing and singing to all my fountains are in you. That is a picture of satisfaction. Now we'll get there, but there's no way you can get to that point if you begin by saying, what is the church contributing to me? Students, can I just say, if you're here and you're thinking, well, you know, the church, church doesn't do it for me. Just doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do it for me. If that's where you're beginning, then I'm going to tell you, you need to grow up as a follower of Jesus. Because the church is not supposed to do it for you. Okay? The, the point of the church, the point of Zion is that God created his people for his purpose he didn't create his people so that they could find their own purpose. Does it make sense? And that's the point of Psalm 87. He said, look, as you, as Zion, you were created by God. And, and, and the rest of the psalm talks about the purposes of God that Zion fulfills. And we as the followers of Jesus and as the church here today, we have been set apart as holy. Like the holy mountains there in verse 1. We've been set apart as holy, but, but what makes us holy what makes this place you know what made the mountains holy it wasn't that it was in Jerusalem it's that it was God was there do you know what makes this room holy it's not that it has stained glass windows what makes this room holy the only thing that makes this room holy is the presence of God do you know what makes you holy do you know what makes you holy 
It's not that you're in this room that has a stained glass window, but that you are the temple of the Spirit of God and the presence of God resides within you. That's the only thing that makes something holy. It's not a space. It's not bricks and mortar and carpet. My goodness, Moses was walking on dirt and past a regular old bush. And God began to speak out of the bush and said, Moses, take off your shoes for you are standing on standing on holy ground. What made that ground holy? It wasn't the feet of Moses and it wasn't the geographic location. It was the presence of God. We're here. This is a holy place, not because of its location, but because of God's presence with us. And now as temples of the Spirit of God, we take the Spirit of God with us so that when we walk and when we talk, we are to walk and talk as the holy people of God. It's an amazing thing what God has done. As we look at this passage, God begins to speak to his purposes. And, 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 and when he talks about his purposes, again, we're going to have to connect some dots. And, and, and honestly, this is challenging. And if you want to see how these dots are connected, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to read the articles and go through every Hebrew term and phrase and grammar. Uh, but if you want to know what that is, email me. I'll send it to you. Promise. Okay. Verse 2. It says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion even more than the dwellings of Jacob. So here he begins by talking about the mountains that are holy. Now he says that, that the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. And, and so what's that about? If we're looking at the purposes of God, and that's what we need to begin with. By the way, if you're going to evaluate your life, begin with God created me and I live for his purpose. Now, Am I living for his purpose? What, is, what are his purposes? And that's what he begins to un unload here. He says, God, and, and it's a statement. It's a declar declarative statement that gives us teaching and instruction of what we need to take hold of. He says, God loves the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. Now, what are the gates of Zion? What are, Zion if Zion is Jerusalem, what are the gates of Zion? Okay, the, the gates on the hill of Jerusalem, which is great, there, they're thinking, uh, but the gates are what? You had to walk into this room through a, and when those doors are closed and locked, can you get in this room? Okay, but if the doors are open, can you get in this room? The gates of Zion are the doors into Zion. If the Gates are shut, you can't get in, but if they're open, you can get in, right? Does it make sense? All right, so God loves these gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. Now, the dwellings of Jacob, let me kind of tell you what that is. The dwellings of Jacob, that's when uh, the people in covenant with God get together. And they make their home in different places throughout the promised land. And, and God loves that gathering. God loves the gathering of his people in, in different homes and different villages and hamlets and corners of, of uh, the promised land. He loves it when they get together. And, and he loves the dwellings of Jacob, but he loves the gates of Zion more. 
And the reason he loves the gates of Zion more is because he loves the fact that people can get into the city of his presence even more than he loves the fact that people who know him are hanging out together. If we just break this down again, I know that there are some dots. Maybe you're not seeing the connection, but let me try to make the connection here. When it comes down to it, God is talking about people who are his, who are dwelling in his presence. And he's saying to us today, the church, he says, I love it when you get together in your small groups. I love it when you get together as the church at 8 o'clock or 9.30 here or 9.30 in the chapel, 11 o'clock here, uh, 12.30 over at Crossroads, 1 o'clock here with the Hispanic Fellowship. I love it when you get together. I, I love your gatherings. I love the gatherings. I love it because it's an opportunity for you to grow in your worship of me. It's an opportunity for you to, for you to grow and bask in my presence as a corporate unity. It, 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 I love it because it's an opportunity for you to grow as friends together, as followers of Jesus, grow as family. I love it when you get together. I love it when you get together in your life groups. I, I love it when you get together. But here's what I love more. I love the gates of Zion more. What are the gates of Zion? It's that avenue by which people who don't belong to Zion get into Zion. In, in John chapter 10, Jesus described himself as the gate and the door. He said, I'm the gate, I'm the door. He's, he's the way that you, in John 14, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And if you don't get in by Jesus, you don't get to the Father at all. He's saying, I'm the way you get to Zion. I'm the way you get into the presence of God. This is the glorious gospel, the good news, that Jesus, who is fully God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, yet made himself of no reputation and, and took on the form of a servant and came in the likeness of a man. And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death, yes, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The gates of Zion, this is the instrument by which every person might enter into the presence of God, to know God. It's the gospel. So when God says to us, his people, who are right now dwelling in his presence and rejoicing in this gathering, he says to us that he loves more than this gathering, he loves the gospel's advance through the church. Do you realize that perhaps the problem with the world is not that the culture has gone so wrong? Perhaps the problem with the world is the fact that the church has enjoyed and loved the dwellings of Jacob more than the gates of Zion. That we've enjoyed getting together and enjoying each other's company. And that's good and it's right and we should. But somewhere along the way, we start missing the idea that it's not just about getting together and enjoying each other's company. But if we're going to be God's people fulfilling his purpose, then we're going to open wide the gates of Zion, telling people how that they can find friendship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. 
The church was not made to sit in a cloistered cell just hanging out with each other. The church was designed to be an army on a mission to advance the good news even against the gates of hell which will not prevail against the gates of Zion. Listen, understand, God has given us a mission and he loves the mission even more than you getting together with your best friends in the church. In fact, what happens is we get together in this setting and we enjoy each other so much that we forget that there are people outside our circle. In fact, we don't even care about those people. In fact, we wish they would stay out because they're going to get messy and they're going to do things. They're going to smoke in the hallways or they're going to, they're going to bring a beer inside the church and they don't know the Baptist tradition of keeping it in the trunk of your car when you come to church. <laughs> God is, hey, we, 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 we're, so, we're so mad at the world that we forgot that God loves the fact that he has given us to the world as a gate. You know, we, we, we love our comfort, and comfort's good. I, I appreciate comfort. I do. I, I enjoy, I mean, uh, I enjoy comfort. I don't like getting out of my norm. I don't like getting out of my routine. But you realize, of course, anytime we decide that my comfort is more important than God's mission, then we have failed God. You realize that, right? That, that I know, look, I understand that, that there are things that are going to be asked of you called First Norfolk that you're not going to enjoy. But friends, the truth is, and I love you, but I'm not here to make sure that you are pleased. I am here to make sure that we as a church accomplish God's mission. Because he loves the gates of Zion even more than the dwellings of Jacob. And again, if that upsets you, if that makes you mad, please, please, please come talk to me about it. But when you come talk to me, bring your Bible. I mean that. Because that's the foundation of why we do what we do. Am I right? So God loves the gospel's advance even more than us hanging out together. And by the way, he loves it when we hang out together. He loves it. The first church, the first church, listen to what they did in Acts chapter 2. They, Acts 1, they hung out together for like 40 days. And then all of a sudden, they had a shot to stand up, and Peter began to preach, and, and he preached, and he preached this good news that Jesus, whom they had killed, was killed to bring rescue to them, to forgive their sin. And a bunch of people met Jesus that day. A bunch of people were transformed by God's grace that day. But then at the end of Acts 2, you know what they did again? They got back together. It says in Acts 2, 42, they got together, that they devoted themselves together to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They enjoyed hanging out, but they didn't stop hanging out. This is not the end. This is the beginning of us accomplishing God's mission. 
God loves the gospel's advance through the church. He loves the gates of Zion. By the way, are we opening those gates or are we shutting those gates? Say it again. Opening, yeah. I like y'all. Y'all need to come sit on the front row all the time. I mean, I'm loving that. Um, so we, we're supposed to be the people in the business of opening the door to the people who are far from God. But we're so busy trying to protect the things that make us comfortable that we lose sight of what God loves, which is advancing the gospel. And I know I'm speaking to most of you, and you've got this figured out, you're mature followers of Jesus, but, but we need to be reminded that my comfort is not king. That we exist not for my pleasure, but for God's purpose. Am I right? So God loves the gospel's advance. Then in verse 3, the psalmist goes on. And by the way, we're almost done. Don't panic. Verse 3 says, glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Now, what are these glorious things? What, what is that talking about? Well, he's saying, he's saying to Zion, to, to Jerusalem, he says, because God has made his home with you, because, because you are dwelling in the presence of God, you begin to take on the glorious characteristics of God. And these glorious things are magnificent things, mysterious things, miraculous things. And, and so as a church, what we need to understand is God's purpose is to do glorious things through the church. God does glorious things through the church, and we're supposed to be participants in that. See, remember, oh, by the way, if we start out by saying, well, what's this church contributing to my life? Up to this point, we haven't gotten to that question yet. We see we're God's people to fulfill God's purpose, and God's purpose is the gospel advance. That doesn't have anything to do with what it's contributing to my life yet. And then the second, verse 3, it talks about glorious things. Well, what are these glorious things? Well, it's, 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 it's the, the, the bringing sight to the blind and making the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and the, and, and, and the mute to speak. It's, it's doing that kind of miraculous thing. It's taking someone who's covered up in leprosy and, and healing them and making them clean. That's the kind of miraculous thing, glorious thing that, that God did and, and God does. Make no mistake, God still is in the business of doing miraculous things and glorious things. And if you don't believe it, then, then maybe that's why you don't see it. But if you begin to believe it, then maybe you'd begin to see some of the miraculous, glorious things that God is about doing. But can I tell you that the psalmist begins to define these glorious things uh, with the greatest of all great glorious things? That's verses four through six. So, so let's, let, let, let's look at verses four through six. He says, by the way, this is God beginning to speak in verse four. God says, I'll make mention of Rahab. Now, Rahab is synonymous with Egypt. I don't have time to deal that, but that's Rahab equal Egypt, okay? Rahab, Babylon, to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia, Tyre, and Ethiopia. This one was born there. Where is there? Can you, reading? Okay. Where? Yeah, this one was born in Zion. 
Okay, and, and of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish her, and the Lord will, will record when he registers the peoples, this one, will, uh, this one was born there. He's talking about, I'm sorry, I got excited. He's talking, about, he's talking about this one being born there, and this one being born there, and this one being born there. Uh, but he uses these examples of like uh, Egypt and Babylon and, 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 uh, and Philistia and Tyre and, and Ethiopia or Cush. And, and you look at those, those five kingdoms and those five nations, you need to understand that, that those five nations, that was north, south, east, west, okay? From the psalmist's perspective, those are the four corners of the world. North, South, not only that, but these were all enemies of God. These were all people who had persecuted God and the people of God. These were all Gentile people, by the way. And so when the psalmist uh, is recording God saying, God says, okay, here's what I'm going to tell you, Zion. That person from Egypt is going to be born in you. And that person from Babylon, he's going to be born in you. That person from Philist- Philistia is going to be born in you. That person from Tyre is going to be born in you. And that person from Ethiopia is going to be And from India and from the Philippines and from, uh, from uh, South Africa and from Tanzania and from Malawi and over into uh, uh, Australia and New Zealand and, and, and uh, New Hebrides and, and, and on into, on into uh, uh, Vietnam and, and, and China and Russia and and, 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 and over into Ukraine, and, and then, and then uh, God, God's going to take people from all over the world, and he's going to do something with them. And what's he going to do? He's going to give them a new life. See, verses 4 through 6 has a lot of New Testament feel to it. I mean, it's got a lot of John three sixteen feel to it. This picture of being born there, born in Zion. He's saying, okay, what's going to happen in the history of Zion and in the future of Zion is I'm going to raise up a Davidic king. It is going to be the Messiah. He is going to be the Messiah and he will rescue his people from their sin. His name is Jesus and Jesus is the king. And through Jesus, all the nations of the earth will experience the blessing that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to restore my plan through Jesus and I'm going to bring new life to people who are living in death. I'm going to give them this glorious miracle. Though their sins be as scarlet, I'm going to make them white as snow. Even though they are dead in their trespasses and sin, I'm going to make them alive together with Christ Jesus. By grace, they will be saved. And everyone who believes on Jesus will be born again. And that is the miracle. And friends, listen, the minute we as a church start treating the healing of the body more awe-inspiring than the rescue of the soul is the minute we lose our purpose. The minute we start determining that someone whose leg was broken and is now made whole is more powerful than someone who is dead in their sin being made alive together in Christ Jesus. The minute we start treating as commonplace someone who is far from God coming to find new life in Jesus Christ, the minute we start neglecting that great salvation and the great glorious work of God's rescuing love, the minute we start neglecting that is the minute we lose our purpose. Guys, we need to be excited 
and anticipating this wonderful saving love of God reaching through your testimony in your life into the lives of others. I was so excited Wednesday night. I went up and watched our students and listened to Pastor Jason um, do his talk. And, and uh, what really excited me is great talk and love watching the students, great worship up there. But what really excited me was when I saw these students writing down the story of their own conversion, the way they came to know Jesus so that they might be able to share that story with someone else. Can, can, can I just tell you, ask you, plead with you that, that God expects glorious things to happen through His church. But that means that you and I have to be involved in sharing the glorious things that God has done for us. I, I, I'll close with this, and, 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 and literally closing with this. I, I know that, that uh, when it comes down to it, we, we, uh, we, we really do think, how, how can we experience satisfaction? Can, can I, we experience satisfaction in part because we get to join God in doing what He alone can do. We, we, we experience satisfaction because where God, where, where God dwells, glorious things begin to happen. So, so there's, there's, an, there's an experience of satisfaction there, but, but the psalmist concludes. By the way, verse 6, he's writing stuff in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's taking note of those who came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and he's writing them down in verse 6. Now, in verse 7, the psalmist takes over and he starts speaking again. He says, now, all the singers and dancers, they're going to get together and they're going to say, all my fountains are in you. All my fountains are in you. It's a picture of satisfaction. And ultimately, can I tell you, and this is the good part, God literally does desire to satisfy you. God, God wants to satisfy his people. So when, when you get here and you, and you get here and, and, and you're part of this family of faith, God longs to satisfy you. But the satisfaction only comes when you begin understanding that you are God's people called to fulfill God's purpose. That God is not at your beck and call, but you and I, we're at his beck and call. Satisfaction can only happen and, and, and nourishment for our soul can only happen when we understand that we as the church exist to fulfill what God desires. And that is the advance of his gospel. My goodness, the reason he sent Jesus out of heaven was on a rescue mission to advance the gospel. And we think the church is any different than our Savior? Jesus could have stayed with the Trinity. Talking about a holy huddle. The Godhead has the greatest of all holy huddles, but God's purpose sent Jesus on a mission, and God's purpose sends us out of our little cloistered cell of comfort into a world to advance the gospel. And when we understand that, that we exist and we're created by God, and this church, First Norway, was created by God for His purpose and His pleasure, 
That means we're going to advance the gospel. It means that we're going to take on the characteristic of glorious things. We need to be known as a church, not as a people that are just got good, um, good preaching or teaching or singing. No, we need to be known as the church where people come and their lives are changed forever. That, that's a reputation of glorious things. And when we commit ourselves to walk that path, then we are satisfied. We're dancing and we're singing because we've committed ourselves fully to God's purposes. And I know it's not an easy journey. Can I tell you, it's not. It's not. And, and the next few years, not going to be an easy journey. It's not going to be, it's not going to be all lollipops and rainbows. There are going to be some hard choices and there are going to be some challenges. But can I tell you, that if you commit yourself to make this journey as God's people, you will be more satisfied and enriched because you are God's people created for His purpose. So I challenge you to join me on this journey, to join God so that we can celebrate together. By the way, this happy dance that happens in verse 7 It happens at the beginning of the journey. It happens in the middle of the journey. And it happens ultimately at the end of the journey when we get to heaven with Jesus. I invite you to us to a life of satisfaction as a church. Not by what the church does for you, but by how you see your place in the church and how you see this church's place in God's purpose. Well, as we close today, I want us to close like this. I'm going to invite everybody to come to pray. And I know not everybody can get down here and pray, but I'm going to invite as many of you can to pray. We're entering to a, we're in the middle of a crazy season. And I believe that it is our duty to vote. So you vote. If, if you're of age and, and you haven't already done it, you need to vote. And, and yet, more powerful than, a, than our vote is God's people in prayer. And I believe that God has called us to be a people in prayer. So I'm going to invite you to begin a journey over the next three days of praying consistently and persistently. I'm also going to invite you to join me in a season of fasting, Mon- uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Now, you, you may not want to fast, and I understand that, but, but uh, maybe the fast will look like this. Maybe you're going to say... Uh, Today, tomorrow, and uh, Tuesday, instead of having lunch or dinner, I'm going to cut out that meal, and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray for our nation. I'm going to pray for our church, and I'm going to pray for this election. And maybe that's, maybe that's how you do it. Or maybe, maybe you, you cut out food for today, tomorrow, and Tuesday at noon. And, and you say, I'm not going to eat until noon on Tuesday. And maybe that, and a fast is simply a way for us to heighten our hunger for God and to be more in tune with Him. Uh, but it also communicates an urgency with God uh, when it comes to the pleas of our prayer. So I invite you to join me in the fast. Maybe the best fast you could do is to shut down Facebook and turn off the television, stop listening to all the politics and the political pundits, and just pray and just pray. Maybe that's the best fast you could do. But I'm going to invite you to join me in a season of prayer and fasting. But today, as we embark on this journey, as we start this journey, here's what I'm asking you to pray. First, I'm asking you to pray, God, 
use your church, First Norfolk, and the church around the world, but use your church uh, for your purposes in the world. And then secondly, God, use your church to bring an awakening in our nation. See, I do believe that the only hope for America is for God's people to shine like a city set on a hill, to shine His light, the gospel, and stop calling everybody around us enemies and start treating them as they are people who are far from God, who need new life in Jesus Christ.